Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I've lost, I'm trying to get back to the picture. It went off my screen. Where it, did it go? Is it still good for you? I can still see no, you. No, we yes. all should have gotten better at this during COVID. <laughs> What's good? Thank you so much for tuning in to this interview episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a grown man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I read them as an adult. And now I'm getting to cover the show in real time. And that has opened some cool opportunities, such as this interview, where we are talking to someone who I tweeted 447 days ago on October 13th, 2022. I tweeted, quote, okay, this casting department really knows what they are doing. Hit after hit. I loved her in Silicon Valley, and I cannot wait to see the heat she brings to this role. I didn't know I meant literal heat, but I guess I made an accidental pun. It is Suzanne Cryer who played the role of Echidna. Suzanne, how's it going? That Well, that's the best introduction, so it's going very well now. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the way to start a winter morning. Um, yeah, going really well. It's really exciting. Um, the Percy audience is incredibly enthusiastic and communicative and it's exciting to be part of something that's making the fans so excited. I mean, it really is. It's, you don't get to do that. Sometimes you do things that you're excited about, but you can't get anybody else excited about. And sometimes you do things that every, you know, that everybody's excited about, but you're not excited about. It's really nice to be happy to be doing something to believe that it's um, quality because I do believe that. And I could tell from the first, I could tell from when I got the script, mm -hmm. which I could talk about that. But, um, and then to see it, I mean, we got to see it. My first viewing of it was, of course, at the Metropolitan Museum with the rest of the cast. And it was kind of a mind-blowing experience having, first of all, just being in the museum after dark. It was wild. I was there too. We didn't cross paths, but it was, I was, it's bizarre. What a, what a wonderful thing. I mean, that was an <laughs> unbelievable experience, right? Because first of all, just so everybody knows, you used to have a lot of really fancy premieres. I mean, they, they used to happen a fair amount. They really slowed down since COVID for a variety of reasons. I think because, um, I don't think uh, from a cost-benefit analysis that a lot of networks were getting a lot out of it. So Game of Thrones was sort of doing it. But, you know, a lot of other things just, we didn't even have them for Silicon Valley. And that was a massive, massive hit. But we really, they just didn't do it. You weren't getting enough commensurate kind of interest from a premiere. So when they told me there's going to be a premiere, I sort of was like, yeah, whatever. And then Dan Schatz, the producer, is like, no, Suzanne, you don't understand. You need to get your butt from L.A. and come to New York. And Disney said, you know, come. And so I said, all right, I'll, I'll come. And, and then I said, oh, now I understand what Shots is talking about. This was, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And um, the museum was beautiful. The, the other thing is, and I'm, I'm like a golden retriever. I see squirrels running everywhere, so I keep getting distracted. But 
part of the reason that it's nice being in this show and it's exciting to be at the premiere is because I was ex- I was genuinely excited to see the kids. I communicated with them before the premiere to let them know because, you know, I, we were all staying in the same hotel. These kids are nice kids. They're really nice kids. And um, and I'm a mom and I like kids, but I do not like all kids. There's plenty <laughs> of kids that I'm not, I'm not a fan of. And these kids, the first day on set, I thought, God, you guys nailed it with these kids. They're hardworking. They're upbeat never a grouchy face, which they would be allowed to have. I mean, they're working there every day. Like, you know, I'm floating in and out and doing my thing. The rest of us all come in and out. But those kids, they're just, they're lovely. So it was great to be in that museum with those kids looking. They looked so adorable. I mean, it was just, it was really exciting. And their parents are really nice too. I know their parents now because they were all around the set. So yeah, it's, that's a long answer to a short question. I'm doing well. And it was a very exciting (laughs) premiere. Amazing. Very quick question about the premiere. What was your favorite of the free food? Because I could have eaten that sushi forever. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they, in the, in, in the VIP area where I was, (laughs) Um, there was a lot of past plates and um, they were, I can't pick a favorite. They were passing stuff. And, you know, I'm an actor. I try not to eat a ton of stuff. Um, I really t- try not to eat a ton of stuff because I got to fit in small outfits. But I was eating everything they served. I mean, everything they served. The sushi was really good. But no, the past stuff was off the hook. It was really, it was really, really good. Plus we were all drinking, but I tried not to get schnockered because I didn't, you know, the president of the studio is there. I, you know, I I already apparently said things to her. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people will know the echidna, unless they're taking some drastic rewrites, I don't know that you're going to be coming back into future seasons. So like, I guess you could have gotten schnockered, like, Um, you know, (laughs) they're not going to recast you. So I, I, um, I know that she doesn't come into future sequences, but let's just say I think she might be coming back. Yeah. Okay. And as we see in the Percy Jackson books, monsters never truly die. So See, the thing about Echidna is, and it's true that Rick, you know, as my kids don't fail to remind me, they're like, when they watched the episode last night, because I have three kids. So when they watch the episode like that, they're like, mom, your part is far bigger than it is in the book. I mean, she just sort of shows up and then she's gone Mm -hmm. and she's not on the train and all that stuff. So they're like, mom, your part's much bigger. They must've liked you. And I laughed. I said, well, the part was written before they gave it. (laughs) So they they didn't like have me show up and set and go, Oh, wait a minute. We love Suzanne Cryer. Let's write her into the train sequence. (laughs) That, That had all been planned far in advance. But, um, you know, I think they liked to um, build out their gods and monsters so that they have, um, like, what they did with Medusa, kind of filling in that backstory, even if they didn't explicitly go into the damage that's been done to this woman, because it is for a, a mixed-age audience. That is very much, you feel that, that there is some pain there. And when I got this audition... And I can dial it back from before that, actually. Sure. I I would love the whole timeline. So I actually originally auditioned for the part that Megan plays. Oh, as Electo. Okay. Yeah. So I went in for Electo. And that's the kind of thing I do. Yell and scream. And she means it was a lot of like uh, grumpy mean lady. And I, I can play a grumpy mean lady. 
And it was hard. It was hard material. And it was a lot of material. Um, And then I didn't get it. I didn't hear anything. And I was disappointed that I didn't hear anything because, you know, 99% of the things that I'm auditioning for or having meetings over, uh, my kids just don't care. You know, they just don't care what I'm doing. It barely registers. And this one, there was some serious interest on my kids' parts. They really, really wanted me to uh, participate in Percy Jackson, shall we say. So, because, they're, they're, you know, it's exciting for them. It's really, really exciting for them. Were they readers of the books? Were they big fans? Yeah, they read that. My, my kids are really, really voracious readers. I mean, huge, huge readers. So my daughter not only had read the whole series, like very young, she read the whole series. She had read all of Edith Hamilton. She's read all of the source material. She, by, at the end of like second grade, she had read all of wow. Edith Hamilton. Now she's She is as far as I'm concerned, a serious expert on Greek mythology, like serious, serious expert. And um, all the deep diving back research, um, the big 600-page books on it, She's she knows her stuff. It was very important to them. And so I did this tape, because this was during COVID, for Electo and didn't hear anything and was, um, you know, we're all used to that. But I was a little annoyed that I hadn't even heard anything because I thought it was hard material. And I was like, well, okay. And then a couple months later, my agent said, hey, actually, they want to see you for this other role. And I said, well, okay. I was a little put out about it because I was like, well, they didn't hire me for the first one. (laughs) And then I got it and I was like, oh, I like this one even more. Like it spoke to me personally even more because Echidna has this stuff that um, like Rick quoted my character actually at the, the premiere. I mean, you heard him. He said one of his his favorite lines in the series is this has always been a family story. But Echidna really fights back at Percy calling her a monster, which I just love. And she says, you know, why why me? Why am I a monster and you're not? Like what? Yeah. Let's let's talk about language here for a second. And you know, the, the kids, they're not too young. Kids these days understand the importance of language, of what we call ourselves and what we call other people and the weight and the meaning, uh, the intention behind when you choose words. And that there's some pushback against this notion of monster. Yes, she is fighting Percy Jackson, but there is a bigger complexity to her anger than just, I'm on a mission because of this or X, Y, Z. There is, like, you, you've you not only killed my children, um, because I am the mother of monsters, the mother of all monsters, some people call her, but also um, you have a completely wrong view of the world, Percy, you know? And I feel badly for you because this is a product of your parents. But so anyway, so I did this second audition and I loved it because I had, I did it with like a little cardboard box because <laughs> talking to her dog. And, you know, and I just tried to make her as truthful as I could, like a, a mom, because she loves the thing that's in her cardboard box and, and she's angry at these kids. And anyway, so, uh, so time went by. It's a slow moving machine, Percy Jackson. It is not a fast moving machine. And I was in the process of waiting to hear about this other job, Lucky Hank, which I just finished doing that series with Bob Odenkirk. But um, they were both kind of happening at the same time. And then I found out, oh, you're, you've are you got this part for um, Percy Jackson, which I was like, yay, I'm very excited. But I was also waiting to hear about Lucky Hank. 
ultimately it all worked out together. They both filmed in Canada. But then I hear from my agents, the producers want to talk to you before you fly up to Canada about the part. And I was like, what? (laughs) I've done, you know, I'm old. I've done 10,000, you know, even when I'm a series regular, like even when I was going on to Silicon Valley, I didn't meet with Mike Judge before I went and showed up. I just showed up on set and I did the part. I had auditioned, I got the part. But these guys, I was like, who, why do they want to meet with me? And so I get on this Zoom call and I thought, what on earth is this? And I meet these guys and I fell in love with them. John and Dan, John's the writer, John Steinberg and and Dan Schatz, who's kind of mans the ship there. He's the big, the big daddy there at at the, um, in Canada. And these are two of the smartest guys I've ever met with. We, we talked for like an hour and a half. We, We talked about a kid now, but we talked about a lot of things. It says so much about them and the way they run things that they wanted to have this conversation and talk about who she is. And it helped me understand the world that I would be joining. And then I found out who was playing Electo. And they, I said, hey, so who got Electo anyway? <laughs> Your typical actor thing. And they said, Megan Mullally. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. I am happy to lose anything to Megan Mullally because she walks on water as far as I'm concerned. I love Megan Mullally. Um so anyway, so they talked to me about Echidna. And Echidna, this goes back now to like, well, she's not coming back. Well, Echidna, from their perspective and from Rick's perspective, she's like bigger than Zeus. She's bigger than Poseidon. She is primordial, primordial. She's like behind. She's daughter of Gaia. And, and she is from the very, very beginning. And so I was all excited because I'm like, finally, I'm going to get to do my Star Trek thing. I'm going to get to have snakes and, and you know, antlers. And, and they're like, no, none of that. She's so powerful. She's so much bigger than any other monster that we actually are going to have her have nothing. Like, she's so much bigger. You can't, like, tongue cannot explain and eye cannot see. Like, if you actually saw her, you would die. So in a sense is what they're saying. Like she's so big that she just kind of takes this random form of a Chanel jacket wearing soccer mom kind of lady. I do want to talk about the jacket because that jacket is great. Custom. It was custom made for the show. Custom made. They based it on kind of like a Chanel vibe. Yeah, they built that um, for my body. I showed up in Canada. I think I flew up early for a costume fitting and to meet with Dan. I'm trying to remember, but yeah. And they took my things and we put on jeans and, you know, whatever. We figured out the look, but they built they built the uh, the jacket. And I think they built a couple of them. And, you know, it was interesting because last night I was really curious, are you going to be able to see the glass? Because we had a big thing about the glass when we were filming. Yeah, was it real? Was it CGI? I was curious about that. Yeah, so I could you see it? I couldn't really see it that well. Could you see it? The first time I watched it, I couldn't see it. And yeah. then- the second time I watched it, I looked at her shoulder and then I could see it and I saw like glimmers of light, which made me think it was CGI because it looked like the shiniest glass I've ever seen. No, it wasn't CGI. Ah. They actually did have stuff. And during filming, they put more of it on because they were trying to make it. See- now, I'm going to ah. be honest, I couldn't really see it. And, you know, the amount of money mm-hmm. they spent on CGI, they could have CGI'd the heck out of my shoulder if they wanted to. But I think you don't really need to see it because Walker takes care of that. Walker sees it and you see on Walker's face, he says it, you don't need to have a pile of glass on her shoulder that takes care of it. If he didn't say it, 
you would need to have a lot of glass. You'd be like, whoa, she's covered with glass. They could have put glass all in my hair. Right. But I think, you know, they had they wanted to read it in Walker's face as that dawning realization of, oh my God, she came when we saw that light crash through. That was a kid mm-hmm. driving. Yeah. And I could have killed them right there in the car. Like, obviously. <laughs> like, I love that that's clear. Like, I could have just killed them. Mm-hmm. I could have killed them at any time, all three of them. A kid could kill them. Um, so she's when she doesn't kill them, she's choosing not to kill them. Yeah, she's on a mission. She's training the little pet in the bag <laughs> that she's brought. And I think, you know, I don't think that she's after it doesn't work out. I don't think she's home beating her head on the test going, oh, my gosh, how did I let them survive? She's torturing them. She's punishing them. And, you know, I can only speak for myself and from what I know from what Rick and John and Dan have said. But I think... She wouldn't have let them survive if that weren't acceptable within her game plan. Yeah. She'll kill them in the future if she wants to kill them in the future or, you know what I mean? Whatever. Right. To me, it read, and I really do like what they did with it because I reread the portion of the book where it is in prep for this just to kind of see the differences. And yeah, in the book, it's, it's just very like she just happens to be in the elevator and it feels just more of like your standard monster is attracted to the demigod spell monster of the week kind of attack thing but this in the show it feels more like echidna's main purpose is like i need to train my new tiny pet and that's my goal and you know if we quote unquote fail this mission by letting them get away so be it like i'm villain monologue vamping so that the kids get scared so that she can the chimera can smell it It, like it seems like that's the purpose as opposed to conquering percy i think i think that is it and i think it's also she's making a point both to the children and to the gods. This is parenting. None of you are parenting. The gods are parenting. I am showing you parenting. This is parenting. I'm here. I'm standing next to my child. I'm training my child. You guys haven't trained your children. They're chaotic. Look what they're doing, chopping off Medusa's head and sending it. Like These children are not being trained by responsible parents. I'm more powerful than most of these gods, and yet I'm here with my child training him. My child doesn't die. My child survives. I trained my child. We let them go. But I'm making a point, I think, more than anything. So I don't look at this as, oh, Echidna failed and she's licking her wounds. No. I Literally, when I, like, flick my hand and I open the – I couldn't kill them. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I made a mistake and made the hole too far away. Like, Echidna could do whatever she wants to do. She – she she's she's in control of this. And so then it becomes much more interesting to me. It's not just about like who will win this fight, but why are they fighting and what is she doing? And I think it's all about making points about parenting. Yeah. I think it's about flexing in front of the gods and shaming the gods. Yeah. Look, I like it. I can tell from that answer that you are both a good actor and also a good mother because yeah. you, can, you can see like the amount of care from an acting perspective of this is the thought I'm putting into the role. But then also on the flip side, it's like the evil version of like, I care about my kids so much. This is what I'm going to do. But you're you're twisting that into like good mother, but still, you know, evil character. I, it's it's very interesting to hear this. Well, you know, it's funny because I went to drama school. So I went to Yale drama school a bajillion years ago. And, you know, who knows whether drama schools are worthwhile. That's you could debate that into the end. But, you know, I learned a lot when I was there. And, um, you know, it's where Meryl Streep went. And it's like they teach you things there. And there's a lot of things they taught me that I forgot and a lot of things I remember. But one of the things that they 
told you about like Earl Gister. He was he was our master teacher, like in our first year or whatever. But he's like, there's there's things you can't do as an actor. You can't be a king. You can't be a monster. You can't be a king. People can treat you like a king, and then you can see that you're the person's a king. But there's no way to act like a king, right? There's nothing like a king is just a person. It's a title. And 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 there is no such thing as a monster, right? There's no such thing. And so if you get this idea in your head of I'm a monster, it becomes unactable, right? You can't do anything with that. What you can play are the whys and the whos. And Echidna, she may be technically, quote, a monster in Greek mythology, but that's useless to me as an actor. The only thing that's are useful to me are she's a mother. She's a mother who's had a child die and other children die. She's resentful of her place in the schema. Those are things that are actively playable. But, like, nobody wants to see you go like, that's only fine, good for jump scares. And this show, I mean... When I first got the script, I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I get to audition for Percy Jackson. My kids will be excited. And I thought the script would be stupid. I mean, I honestly, I did. I told John Steinberg there. I was like, I thought it was going to be a junky script because I thought they're going to take Rick's stuff and they're going to kind of make it like this, whatever. You know what I mean? They're going to make it this YA thing. And I got the script and I'm like, what the, what the, blah, blah, blah. Like, I couldn't believe it. When I was reading Echidna's, First of all, no grammar errors, which I hate to say it, but like half the stuff I get, you know, is like filled with grammatical errors, no grammar errors, beautiful writing, and these complex thoughts. And then I find out, oh, yeah, this guy like went to Harvard. Like, yeah, like they chose grownups to write and create this show with Rick. They knew we have a chance here to do something different, and they didn't look down at their audience base. They wanted to treat them as sophisticated and they wanted to give Rick a chance to be able to participate and work and develop this and develop the bigger themes, which are about alienation and difference and parenting and um, individuality and uh, obviously, like, you know, I spent a lot of time on the red carpet with my niece who I brought, like, talking about differences and challenges that children face. Since we all know Rick wrote this for his kid who was suffering, you know, really serious learning challenges as a child. You know, how do we deal with differences as a society and as, a, as humans who have them? And how do we, you know, frame them and learn to accept them as, as our as our who am I and as our strengths, you know? But so all these things they wanted to bring to the forefront, they didn't just want to make this a bunch of jump scares and like, you know, clank, clank, clank swords. And I think they really successfully did it, which is evidenced by the fact that you have like me, this monster talking to them about the definition of monsters and parenthood. I mean, how great. It's not just me coming on and going, ah. it's literally me coming out and talking to them about what parenting means. Yeah. And honestly, I think that the approach is scarier in terms of like more unsettling. Like yeah. you as a kidna, you're so calm the whole episode that it is way more terrifying when you're just slowly walking down in front of the arch as cars are getting turned over behind you and you're just, you know, keeping a slow pace. Like that is infinitely more terrifying than it's anything weirder. you can do from yeah, a blah. It's, yeah. It's weirder and it's scarier. And it also makes you think about what's going to come. Now, listen, 
She may come back. She may not come back. My personal opinion is she could come back in every episode, um, but, uh, <laughs> which I've made very clear <laughs> to all of the powers of be. No, um, the first year, this year, they felt it was really, really important to honor the book very faithfully. I think it was part of the mission. I'm not saying that um, there aren't differences. There are, but they were really trying to honor the material of book one. I think Rick and Dan and John coming out of season one have a really strong sense now of what the show is, what their kids are able to do, how much those kids can do, and what works. I mean, I think pretty much everything they've been doing has been working. And they're not going to ever deviate dramatically from the books. That is not going to happen. That's not my sense, or at least that's not what I've been told. I think they're going to keep honoring these books, but I do think that there will be more flexibility, a little bit more flexibility. So I think the fact that Echidna is part of the universe now, in a sense, she's too powerful not to come back in a sense, right? Yeah. I mean, I hope she does because I think she's, you know, I think she's just really interesting to me. Yeah. No, I think she was incredibly interesting. Certainly, I would say more interesting in the show than in the book. In the book, it's almost just kind of like a throwaway, just in the sense of, I think in the book, you can more tell that this was a book formulated as bedtime stories, right. where this and like they do this, and then they do this, whereas right. her appearance in the show feels more like connected with the bigger picture. So I wouldn't be surprised if she does come back in the future. And at the very least, even if she doesn't come back, I think her presence will be felt because what you had with Medusa and what you have with Echidna is making Percy and the trio think a little bit differently either about monsters or how the gods or how it all fits in together. You know, it's a little bit more of them having to question the easiest belief, which is like the gods are the good guys and the other people are the bad guys. Well, and I love, I mean, I love what you just said that and I really appreciate that. And I hope, I, I think you're really right. I, and I hope it's true. And I think they set that up in episode one so, so beautifully in the museum when his mom says, not everybody that looks this way is a monster, not, you know, I mean, I think that's like a really profound comment. Like, and I think it's really important in this age of social media and in, in terms of appearances, not everything looks like what it is, you know, and, um, and you have to dig a little deeper. Um, nomenclature is slippery like so you need to really look i hope you're right because i do i would like to think that that is true that she's woven in a little bit more and you know because of the fact that i already got to do more than what was in the book i think they've already let it be different than the book in a sense they've already let what rick thinks about it because he rick's very happy with what echidna is it's honoring what rick wants well, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, everything's going to be a we'll see. I mean, this is a big machine. Yeah. I mean, Lord, I'm sure people have been talking to you about what it was like to work on the soundstage and what, I mean, this is a big machine. Yeah. That was one of the questions I had for you. How much of this was blue screen? Did you do anything in front of the volume? I'm assuming you weren't actually in St. Louis for any of it. Yeah, no. I mean, it's, you know, I do a lot of, um, I mean, Silicon was a very expensive show, obviously, like we, because we were doing, but it was also expensive because we were like, had all these guys from MIT advising us and big computer banks and things like that. This show is expensive and big in a different way because 
my first day on set, you know, after doing all the fittings and stuff like that was working on the train in that, you know, that, that ILM depth tank stage, whatever the heck they call it. (laughs) And you can't understand unless you're on that thing was massive. The screens were like, a hundred feet long on each side and 25 feet high. I mean, these massive screens. And then you're in this huge train that's shaking and moving with picture perfect images. Like I can't even get my, like my TV, my little, you know, whatever to TV to like stream properly. And they've got, it was out of control. What was going on. You felt like you were on a moving train with scenery racing by you know, we were right away in there doing this with this huge crew on a train. And I've got like an animatronic thing in the bag with the tail coming out because they had to, that was all, that's not CGI. Like they rigged right. it so it could unzip itself. Oh, cool. That was rigged. Oh, that's so cool. The prop guys built that thing so it could unzip itself and have the tail come out. And then Dan would be like, and now... Just Suzanne, so you understand, then like a whole thing is going to come out of it. But he's like, but the beginning part of it is all flat out real, you know? And like Leah's really got the knife in her thing and she's really jumping up and having to hit it down onto the tape. Like that stuff is happening. So it's like, there's a reason it doesn't all look fake because a lot of it isn't fake. So yes, some of it is, but it doesn't have that look of all being cheesy, cheesy CGI because so much of it is actually like me walking into the train and me having this carrying case that has this like electronic rigged thing that the prop guy was really proud of. And well, he should be as we watched it like unzip itself. It was crazy. That is cool. Now, was someone also, because it makes noise like there's the growling and the barking. Was that added in all after or was someone like. was added in because you can't, like it's really important. Like when you're, like even when you're just doing a take, let's say Walker and I overlap each other. You have to do clean takes, right? So like if I'm doing a monologue, 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 you can overlap each other when you have wide shots, but you can't when they're tight on my face. Otherwise, they'd have like Walker interrupting me. So and so like when it's tight on Walker, I have to make sure he gets his full line out clean. And when it's tight on me, Walker has to make sure I get my full line out clean. So you can't have like growling in the background because then you can't sync it up. So you have to have multiple soundtracks always. So yeah, so they put in the this stuff later. They might like pause and go animal growls. And so we all, you know, whatever we like take. And then they had this great coach who was helping us because he could help us with that too, who works with the kids and who's there to like support. And when the kids also time out, so he could read their lines with me if they had to leave. But mostly I was there with the kids and the day in the arch was crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Because literally, and I was telling my kids when they're watching, I was like, yeah, that was a real fire. That's real fire on the left there. That's not CGI fire. They actually had a problem where it lit on fire. And like someone got burned, a crew person got burned, I think, like by their hand got burned. And it was like, like, this stuff's real. It's not all CGI. Like they're doing dangerous stuff. I was like, there's a huge hole in the floor 
And that hole is 40 feet up in the air. We're on platforms way high in the air and walkers hanging down. And there's a real fire there. And I am not allowed to get too close to the edge of the hole unless I have harnesses on. You know, obviously my kid was not there. He was a blue head, you know, my monster child. We only had like his head. So I could touch that or I could touch or I knew like basically where his body was. So the director's like 35, 40 feet below you, like calling up and there's walkie talkies. It's kind of stressful because then they're like, you know, start again or whatever. And you, if you don't hear it, then they're like, but why didn't you're like, I, we didn't like, we can't tell we're like 40 feet in the, it's really hard. You know, it's really different than having your director be just on the other side of the camera. So it was, you know, it's, you're really far away. And we all were working on this. There's a lot of things that happen high in the sky, I think for a lot of reasons, but uh, yeah, fire Walker was such a sport. He was hanging, 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 endlessly hanging in these harnesses and, you know, getting the edges of his fingers hanging and he's having to really hang and support a lot of his weight because otherwise it doesn't look Otherwise, it would just look like your fingers are soft, like you're having to put a lot of weight on him and like how much can he hold as he's extending, you know, before they drop him and then drop him as fast as they can, you know? Wow. I would love it if, I mean, this it would just be a funny thing, but like it just feels like such a specific forearm muscle workout. It reminds me, I broke my leg once and I got really specific tricep muscles from using crutches <laughs> for like a That's couple of so weeks. Exactly It'd be funny true. if he had a weird... <laughs> He had a forearm bulge from, you know, what'd you do last week? Oh, I dangled 40 yeah, feet exactly. off of a soundstage for three hours. Well, it's kind of like doing climbing walls. Yeah. But yeah. No, it was really exciting to work on that set and challenging too. I mean, honestly, it's challenging because you're trying to keep truth. And, you know, this is true for all the kids. You're trying to keep some truth in this because it really, at the end of the day, this show is about the scene work and the truth while you have fires and exploding and monsters and knife fights and whatever it is that they're doing. You know, it's challenging. It's a different kind of challenge than when you're just doing regular scene work. For sure. So one question that I did have, when the timeline of you get cast and you had said that your kids had read the books, did you immediately go and either ask them or read the books and see what Echidna was like in the books? Because it's drastically different. I was wondering if you were either happy that you didn't have to have scaly green skin and a floppy denim hat or if... (laughs) If you were relieved that you had a custom jacket that I hope you were able to take one with you. Yeah, no, I mean, no, that stuff, believe me, they keep all that stuff because you never know when you're going to be doing whatever with it. But um, so I right away went to my daughter and she, she said, oh, well, she's not, you know, she's kind of small in the book. And she told me all about like her backstory and who she was. But my daughter also right away explained to me that there's like 50 different versions of what she could be like in terms of like who her parents are and X, Y, and Z. And then I, you know, I looked at the book. But so I was prepared when I went to meet with the producers and have that first Zoom session and they explained it to me. I understood there wasn't one answer. And so when they were able to give me the answers to the questions, like what Rick and they had chosen her backstory to be, that was really helpful to me because I was aware that there were options and then it was really helpful to find out what those options ended up being, you know, from that, from their perspective. And I was really, really excited that the option they chose was kind of the biggest one. They made her so, which makes sense. If she's the mother of monsters, she's got to be way back. You know, she's got to be deep, deep space, sort of. Yeah. No, I really liked it. 
Now, as a kid, you're the mother of monsters. As Suzanne Cryer, are you the mother of any pets yeah, as well? Yeah. Dogs. Okay. Dogs. <laughs> we had two dogs, and now we only have one. One of them died. Okay. The other one died, but we still have a Rottweiler. Yes. Was any of your? We've talked about how your your human parenting influenced it. Was any of your pet parenting brought over? I guess at least maybe you have experience with, or I guess Rottweiler's too big for a carrying case no, like a are. Chihuahua. <laughs> no, my other dog was little, so I okay. The, the carrier that we were using was very similar to a carrier I used for my other dog, who, who my my little one, who's no longer with us. Um, so it was very funny to me because I used to go through the airports with that and have him, and he barely fit in it. So I had that same, like, this is deja vu all over again kind of thing of, like, trying to get a dog who probably shouldn't be underneath on the plane, underneath on the plane, which is totally mm. what a kid is doing. It's like, there's actually you know, a two-ton monster in this bag. That's how I always felt with my other dog was named Scruffy. I always felt like Scruffy. I would have to give him like some some meds to keep him quiet enough. But I was like, baby, you can't, he couldn't go down in the bottom so um, of the plane. So he, he his fat little body, like I was always putting him on a diet right before we'd travel, but it totally was. But, you know, it really does like thinking about her and how I was going to, when I was auditioning for it, and then ultimately when playing it, it was really important to me that like, it doesn't matter that it's a monster in there. It's my baby. That's the only thing that matters. Like she loves this the same way I love Scruffy. It's her baby. Like we all feel about it. And, and like anybody who, who tells somebody, oh, stop being so nice to your dog. It's just a dog. will punch you in the face, right? Like don't tell a kid that like she's, that these aren't, these aren't creatures that matter. I mean, these are her children. These are her babies. She loves them. As much as anybody in America loves their dog or their children, she loves these. These are her kids. So um, they may not look like Percy Jackson, but there's no di- from there's no difference between them and Percy Jackson to her. Like there's zero difference. Like, you know, she's like your ultimate vegan. Like she's like, <laughs> look, we're all on this planet together. We're all alive. It doesn't matter whether you have two eyes or eight eyes or whatever. It's like you're alive and you're breathing and you're part of the fabric of the universe, you know. So, you know, I do think echidna is like vegan. You know, she'll kill things. (laughs) She's not going to eat them. Oh, that's so good. The last question that I have just about all of the Percy Jackson stuff, I always love just to double check if there was any sort of behind the scenes story, whether that was like a, a gag that either did or didn't find its way into the show, something that was just like maybe people at home wouldn't know any sort of like fun tidbit to to close out the Percy Jackson discussion here. Well, this I mean, I, you know, it's funny that you asked that it's not this is not like this is not a um, this is not a gag. I mean, we were really, really, really. The stuff, the kidna stuff is hard stuff. So this was, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure every day was hard on that set, but we weren't messing around. But the interesting thing is I showed up in Canada to do this part. As I told you, I was doing kind of two shows simultaneously and got over to Percy. And the first place they took me was to where my chair was, which was in a tent with Rick. And I was like, oh my God, I was, you know, I was starstruck. I mean, really, I don't care about anybody or anything. I'm old. I'm tired. I've been doing this for a long time. But I was so excited. And he and I really got along because I taught school when I first got out of undergrad. And he he's a teacher and a parent. So he and I really got along. And I was just like hugging him. And he went to like went to his office secretly. And he got three copies of the book and signed them for each of my children. Like he's just... 
he is the nicest person in the world. So I'm sitting in this really teeny little tent with Rick and I feel tired, just really tired. And I'm a really energetic person. And they're like obsessive because it's Disney about COVID. And I've never had COVID. My kids, one of them got COVID, but my husband didn't get COVID. Nobody's got, and I'm like, no, I'm really careful. And I masked on the plane and I'm super careful. And I know how serious. And Dan Schatz is like, are you sure you don't have COVID? And I was like, this is not COVID. I'm not going home, but just like I kept falling asleep. And then sure enough, I got COVID like day two from my hair meeting over at the other show where I had to take off my mask. The hair person got me COVID simultaneously, unrelated, because he they went to Comic-Con. Walker got sick. He didn't get COVID. And Dan Schatz, who nothing can happen on set without Dan Schatz. Like, literally, you understand, he is like, he runs everything. Dan runs everything. Dan got COVID. So we all got COVID. And you it's like a bajillion dollars a day filming. So now Echidna's out. Walker's just sick from doing Comic-Con with like 200,000 people in the audience with him and Leah and Ariane and like no masks on, right? So no matter how careful Disney was being, two really important people, and I'm not important, but I was sure important those days, we all were out. We're all down for the count. And I ended up being out for like a full seven days. And they like, it ended up working out okay, but it was, and so Dan and I were like texting each other, are you better? Are you still a pink line? It wasn't funny at all, but it was crazy. So right in the middle of episode four, we had, thank God Walker didn't get COVID. I don't know even know if he's had it or not, but he didn't get it. He just got, he got Comic-Con. That's what I'll call it. He got the Comic-Con cold, um, which how are you not going to get something when you're in that giant group of of people in, you know, the beginning of winter. But anyway, but yeah, that was, that was, but my, my first thought was, oh my God, I like, if I kill Rick, <laughs> 200 million children will come, you know, pierce me with their pencils and it will be the death of me. Like an American treasure. It would be like killing Betty White. Like, literally. I was like, I was sitting there like, Dan, I don't have COVID, no chance. Come here, Rick Warden, give me a big hug. I mean, if I killed Rick Warden, America would hate me. I did this show years and years ago, Two Guys and a Girl, which is way before your time because you're 12. No, I'm not. I'm 31, so I know about that one. <laughs> okay, so I did it with Ryan Reynolds, but they had a very funny arc. Like one of the things my character did on it was she started dating this guy, Nomar Garcia Parra. Do you know Nomar? I'm a big Yankees fan, so I despise him. Do you kill Nomar in the episode? I'd love this would but be my favorite television show. <laughs> my character starts dating Nomar Garcia Parra. And Nomar did a couple episodes. He's the greatest guy in the entire world, like literally the greatest guy in the entire world. And then my character dumps Nomar Garcia Parra Amazing. and he goes on TV crying and says, I can't play anymore. I'm gonna leave Boston. Yes. And so all of Boston like starts hating me and throwing eggs at me because like my character Ashley like drove away their fan favorite. And I was like this I was like this will be what happens if Echidna inadvertently fells Rick Riordan with COVID. Like I that was really that was my that was that was what happened. But I didn't. He didn't get it because he's strong. <laughs> strong and good. 
<laughs> that yeah, that is the thing. If you get COVID, you are bad and weak. <laughs> I was bad and weak, and Rick is strong and good. No, I don't know how. I mean, I don't know how I didn't give it to him. That tent was teeny. Oh my god. Oh my god. And Dan didn't give it to him. Dan had it too. Wild. But Dan was so good about masking. We all were. It was just Comic Con, and then my one meeting. We were all really careful. Disney, super, super, super careful. They didn't want those kids getting sick, and you don't want to slow down that production no. for a billion dollars a minute. Yeah, that's an expensive rate. I also know that Disney didn't want to spend that money at the Met premiere where they were getting paid overtime, probably a bajillion dollars a minute, when I was very politely ushered out <laughs> when they closed the Met uh, That was, I'm sure, that, I do not know what that premiere cost, but it was not, they didn't skimp. It was fancy and it was nice, but I think they're really excited about it and the show's doing really well for them. So they yeah. should be excited about it. And you know what they deserve this goes back to like how I felt about HBO back in the day, like doing Silicon. When you hire Mike Judge, when you hire somebody smart and Alec Berg and you let them do their job and you get out of their way, you will get a good product. Yeah. And that's what HBO did back in the day. That's why they have The Sopranos. That's why they have Silicon Valley. That's why they have these shows. And Disney, for all of its micromanaging, which they do, they're known to micromanage, but they hired smart people and they let Rick and Dan and John do this. And they trusted them, I think. And as a result, they're really happy with it. And it just goes to show when you let smart people do their vision and cast who they want to cast, you know, um, those kids are really talented, you know, they're really, really talented. And uh, anyway, so that's I think that's the long and the short of it is you 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 reap the rewards when you let people when you let creative people do what they're good at when you let creative people do what they're good at and you don't fence them in and listen you don't have to spend a lot of money to make something great I think it helps on this on Percy Jackson I think every single person I know looks at it and says this was money well spent you can see it not in a like a cheesy way but you can see they they but, you know, the other show I did, which granted it got canceled, but Lucky Hank was done for no money. And I think it was beautifully done. It's just certain shows don't need as much money and certain shows do. I mean, it's it's the difference between, you know, some independent movies and, and a Marvel movie. You don't, you know, you can have a great product that's better than a Marvel movie and a little independent movie. But this this was a good combination of artistic integrity and money. And it's rare that those two things, that you get a good script and good messaging and money, you know, and kind of box office buffo, you know, stuff. So it's nice. It's nice yeah. for them. And it's fun to be part of. Yeah, it's really nice. And it's a fun show. It's a great show. You were great in it. And this has been a wonderful chat. It's funny because in our emails, you were like, I don't think we could talk for a full episode's worth. And I think we could go on for hours and hours, but I don't want to keep you. You've been very generous with your time. Well, it's I haven't done a lot of it. So um, I haven't, I, you know, I, it's, it's, you're kind of making me remember things. So it's good. It's I'm good glad. to remember things. And, uh, and I'm happy the fans are excited about it. So um, yeah. yeah, I hope, I hope people enjoyed last night and I hope they enjoyed the rest of the season. I know my kids can't wait to see the rest of the season and it's really manageable too. It's not, it's not too long. It's not, you know, this isn't flowers of the moon. There's three. <laughs> yeah. You don't need multiple intermissions. It is, it's nicely paced. No, you don't need a bathroom break in the middle of it. You can watch it beginning to end and um, yeah, it's exciting. So anyway, yeah. but uh, you're really nice to talk to me and, you know, to all the fans out there, I'm glad. I hope you're liking it. I hope you like episode four and I hope you, uh, 
enjoy the upcoming episodes. I'll be watching them with you. So, you know. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I, I will say I have one final non-Percy Jackson question. My dad would not be proud of me if I didn't ask, because my dad's an enormous Seinfeld fan, and as was I as a child, you are the mother of monsters as echidna, but you're also the mother of yada, yada, yada. What is it like to be in a role in Seinfeld that is like, got to be one of the top 10 like quoted things from it is that just yeah, like I think it, as a phenomenon what is that like quoted, yeah they're listing it they it's it is always like the number one phrase of the, it it is weird <laughs> and um it's just it's it's cool when you get to be part of a show and then a particular episode that becomes kind of part of television history um you know and i'm sure the people that you know, Carol O'Connor and, you know, felt that way every week on, on All in the Family. Um, when you're doing The Simpsons or whatever, it when you get to do something that that doesn't really disappear, it's a lot of luck. It's a lot of luck for the actor, not luck for the writers. The writers knew. They knew. Peter Melman knew. He was like, this episode's going to be huge. Peter Melman's a ridiculously smart guy, the guy, you know, who wrote it. Um and he said this episode's going to be huge. And ads were like $500,000 for every 10 seconds or whatever. It was just crazy. And they let them have a long episode for the because they knew it was going to be such a big episode. And you can't even see the full episode anymore. Wow. The scenes are missing. Wow. Yeah. So there's scenes that you don't see because it was a really long, it could have been like 28 minutes. We had like 28 minutes. So I don't know what the scenes are that are missing, but there are missing scenes when you watch it and rerun because no one's going to let it run 27 minutes anymore, 26 minutes. It's always going to be like 22 minutes now. So there's there's scenes with me and George that are missing. Interesting. Oh, well, a fun fact to bring home to dad. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for for joining on, for taking the time. This has been great. It's been fun seeing the show and seeing, you know, like your your social media posts, other social media posts like Dan with you dancing in front of the blue screen that he posted today and all the kids sharing it. It's it's just great seeing everyone share everything. Yes, Dan's a Dan. It's funny. I love Dan. Dan and John are really they're great showrunners. They really they're they're great. I couldn't be happier that I got this job to get to work with them and Rick. And I really couldn't be. They're a really great team. So I feel very, very, very lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. It's nice to like something and have it be a big success. It's really, it's a, it's kismet, right? Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's you nice. Have to count your, you have to really be appreciative. You have to wake up and be appreciative when things, uh, when things do go well. So it's, it's great. Um, but thank you so much and um, have a great, uh, great 2024. You as well. You as well. Yeah. What a fun first interview that was for this episode. Yes, I did say first interview intentionally because we still have some interview clips to close out this episode. But before we get into those, I want to do a couple of updates about the podcast. First and foremost, I want to talk about the schedule. I have good news for everyone. I will be able to get episodes about the TV show episodes up on the Wednesday following the Tuesday night premieres of the episodes. I was able to get scheduling stuff to all work out, so that means just mere hours after the Percy Jackson TV show episodes air on Tuesday nights, I will be working on and posting episodes of The New Olympian about those episodes the next day. And then if I have more bonus content, I will post those on Mondays. Just got to see if there are other interviews that I can line up and maybe I'll just post some bonus content. Who's to say? But just make sure you're subscribed to The New Olympian on whatever podcasting app you're using so that you don't miss whenever those episodes go live. 
Now, I did just say the word live. And if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, that means the beginning of our 2024 tour, aka 2020 tour, begins in just one month. February 8th, we kick things off with three shows in Florida. So yes, that means we are doing the subset of 2020 tour in Florida, Torida, where we're going to be in Gainesville on February 8th, Tampa on February 9th, and Orlando on February 10th. All the shows will be first act, the newest Olympian, second act, Potter Listen Q&A. You can get tickets at thenewsolympian.com slash live. Johnny Frolicstein will be the guest for all three Florida shows. My aunt and uncle are going to come to one of the shows. Going to be a blast. You should come through. You can get tickets at thenewsolympian.com slash live. And that is also where you will find tickets for our upcoming shows after Torida. So you can get tickets to our Denver show on February 18th, Phoenix, February 20th, Raleigh on March 9th, and Charlotte on March 10th, all at thenewsolympian.com slash live. Now, before we get into the remaining interviews, we're going to take just a quick little break here since this bonus episode is basically as long as a full-fledged episode of The Newest Olympian, and I would love to continue to do this as a full-time job. So you're going to hear some ads. Some of them are going to be read by me. Others of them won't be read by me. The ones that aren't read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in a non-English speaking country, you might get an ad in non-English. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back into the remaining interviews for this episode of of the newest Olympian. This episode of the newest Olympian is brought to you by Factor. Now, the TV show just dropped, and depending on your time zone, maybe it drops at a particular time when you've just come home from work or school or some other prior engagement, and you gotta eat some food before you watch the show, but you don't have a bunch of time to cook, but you still want to get something nice and fresh and delicious. What could you eat? You could eat something from Factor. Factor is a ready-to-eat meal delivery service that allows you to skip the grocery stores, prep work, and cooking fatigue, and instead get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered directly to your door. If you feel like your lunches are frantic and your dinners are rushed, Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the new year. You can fuel up fast with high-quality meals, and they also now have snack options like breakfast smoothies, juices, snacks, and more. I got a box from Factor, and there were a lot of very tasty things in them. For sometimes when it was super-duper quick, I just threw them in the microwave. When I had a little bit more time, put them into a baking dish and put them in the oven, and both were very tasty. I really enjoyed the chipotle-rubbed pork chop. That came with roasted cabbage and red bell pepper fondue. I also really enjoyed the Caribbean spiced tofu that came with black beans, rice, mango salsa, and coconut jerk sauce. And maybe you have new dietary goals in 2024, and Factor can help you. Some of the offerings they have include Protein Plus or keto-friendly meals. If you're interested, head to FactorMeals.com/OlympianStar50 and use code OlympianStar50 to get 50% off. That's code OlympianStar50 at FactorMeals.com/OlympianStar50 to get 50% off. So check it out, get those meals and heat them and eat them quickly as you get ready to watch a new episode of The Percy Jackson Show today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. 
And we are back from the break, and we're here to get into our final quick interview clips here. Just two clips from the interviews that I was able to do with those production folks, the first of which is going to come from the VFX supervisor team of Eric Henry, who is the VFX supervisor, and Jeff White, who is the ILM VFX supervisor. I asked them about the Chimera from episode four, and they gave me some cool insight about it. Here's the clip. I remember in New York Comic Con, uh, I believe, Jeff, you said that the monster you were the most excited to create was the chimera so i'm just curious as to like what is the process the timeline of just like i know i have to make this monster to like getting to there how, how do you go from point a to the incredible result that i got to watch last night uh, well, I, <laughs> I think it's like, eric's favorite monster <laughs> oh eric's okay my apologies yeah. uh yeah I, I, I mean i wouldn't say that uh i mean they're all they're all amazing the reason i like the chimera was the design which oddly enough jeff uh yeah. came, came from Weta. it came from what not even any okay. work on the show but they had a uh a really good um uh illustrator who had come up with something that i thought was interesting from the standpoint that it was a mashup you know you had the, mm-hmm. the lioness the goat the snake and trying to come up with something that looked interesting that looked menacing that you know that, that didn't look silly was tough and i think when i saw it you know when when john and dan saw it as well um they said okay well that's that's you know too cool we love it and so yeah i mean that was one of those that that really intrigued me to see it you know come to life it's in some ways maybe it was easier because jeff had to you know with the minotaur had to create something that's supposed to work on all fours and then it stands up and you know what does that look like and all of those things uh, to some degree, watching a lioness move is something we've seen before. So that, you know, NPC got right away. But, you know, she has the chimera has other things that are interesting, too. She breathes fire. It gave me an opportunity to on the set uh, paint it all black. And with, the, <laughs> with Joel Wist and his crew, the special effects guys, and be able to actually take a flamethrower. And, you know, we set it oh. up and, and he. Yeah, he <laughs> fired it and it burns and and everything is you know i mean it just gave it's very game of thrones uh sort (laughs) of uh you know we're channeling our friends at game of thrones there but it it needed that and uh and it's yeah you add that with the sound uh all the sound that um that ben did um and to me the the thing came to life in a way that uh, i could never even have imagined hoped for it's way beyond my wildest dreams in that regard it's very cool Uh, yeah that's awesome and finally to close it all out here is a clip from the interview that i did with john steinberg the executive producer and co-creator i asked just about some of the scenes we saw in episode three and four what i found interesting in episodes three and four is we have the I guess like the monster side quests with like Medusa and the St. Louis Arch were in the book. They're kind of more of just like, uh uh-oh, some bad stuff have happened along the way. Whereas in the episodes, I think they have more like impactful plot importance of like bringing the team together. They're turning down these offers to, you know, give each other a way to get what they want. What was it like trying to put that emotion into scenes that were not necessarily having that same impact in the book and at least doing it in a shorter amount of time 
that's the whole game, right? I mean, I think, you know, to, to take these events that happen in the book and, and, and in the book, you can take three pages and set a stage that would take me two hours to, you know, on screen to really effectively establish and, and bring them into the show in a way where you feel like you experienced them and you saw them, but they also feel woven into things so that they don't need their own two hour setup. And, and so I think that was, um, you know, a constant process of, of trying to just distill everything. You know, the book is 300, almost 400 pages long. The scripts are not too long. Um, <laughs> and, and so everything needs to kind of sit over a low heat, I think, uh, until all that's left is the essence of it. And then you try to stitch those pieces together. So, um, you know, you hope it feels like um, you're, you're not watching a show that has a lot of scenes apparent. Um, or, you know, where you can see the, the the points at which we were just, you know, trying to cram everything in. It all feels like one organic experience. Yeah. So those are all the interviews that I've done so far. I'm very fortunate to be a distinguished member of the press. And it has been a delight to get some insight behind the scenes, whether that is production or design or effects or acting. It's been such a treat and such a delight to talk to all these folks, and I hope you've enjoyed these interviews. Hopefully there will be more to come. I've got some stuff in the works. Not exactly sure when I'll be able to get it out onto the feed, but do not worry. We're going to have some really fun stuff while the show is still coming out and maybe even after the show has finished airing. So thank you all so much for listening to this bonus episode of The Newest Olympian. I hope you enjoy our next episode about episode five of the Percy Jackson and the Olympians TV show, but until you hear that, I'll pursue you later. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Normally, our episodes are edited by Sherry Guo, but I've been doing these bonus episodes. And the music is by Bettina Kambamadis and Brandon Krugel. And the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you're enjoying this bonus content, I am also posting some Patreon-exclusive bonus content. I'm doing those Patron 5 discussions for each of the episodes. So if you go to the newsolympian.com slash Patreon, you can join our Patreon. You can get access to a whole bunch of cool stuff like bonus episodes and director's commentary and our discord and monthly Q&As and all that kind of stuff. But then you'll also get access to the patron five where I ask five specific questions, the same set of questions to each guest that I've had on for the standard episodes of the New Olympian about the TV show episodes. We've got merchandise at the slash merch. And you can also follow the shows on social media at newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I've been posting some Instagram reels, clips from the interviews. I really appreciate y'all listening. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, you can tell someone about the show, whether that is sharing something on social media, whether that's something I posted on Instagram or you just post about enjoying the show, or I've really enjoyed people just taking pictures of their watch setups, like if they've made blue snacks and stuff to watch the TV shows, that's been really cool. So feel free to tag me in that stuff on Instagram and Twitter. I like seeing all that kind of stuff. And just, you know, if you tell someone about the show, that really does help the podcast. Word of mouth helps podcasts so much. So thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy our next episode of The Newest Olympian, where we will be talking about episode five of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the TV show with two very special guests, St. Louis's own Johnny Frolicstein and The Newest Olympian's own Sherry Guo, who I want to say happy birthday to. This episode's
episodes coming out on the day after her birthday. So happy birthday, Sherry Guo. Thank you so much for all of your work. And now every time I edit one of these bonus episodes, I realize, wow, yeah, I like having Sherry's help with the edits. It reduces my workflow a lot. So thank you, Sherry, for everything and also for being a cool person. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, I'll see you later. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save